Terry has a desire to um, create an atmosphere where everybody is honored. And it's not honored because of the great things they've done, honored because God says we are to honor one another. And she's created that. We have desired as a couple, as pastors, to do the same thing. And I, I want to express to you also um, all those that work so hard, uh, some of the men that came and, and worked so hard also. I want to uh, just applaud you and uh, everybody that worked when we got the mountain of dirt on the parking lot and, uh, and we spread that out and just made this place look as, as honoring to the Lord. So uh, thank you for everybody that worked hard in the yard also. Uh, what a blessing it is to have a church of givers, of excited, extravagant givers. Don't forget the men's breakfast, the purpose, many instances of the men's ministry is to bless others and a lot of times to bless children. So what we are doing with all the monies that are donated and made through the breakfast is going to be donated to CARES Ministry when we purchase all the bicycles for the children on Christmas. So all you men, uh, be a part of that. Amen. So all you men, be a part of that. And uh, as we continue to be a blessing, don't forget you have the card here. Uh, ladies, invite men to come to the breakfast as they will hear Pastor Casper Molina, who was part of this church for a few years and has a legacy here also. So um, I want to begin uh, by stating the title. And I, I want this title not to be just cli a cliche, but I want this title to be a lifestyle dream for every one of you. Knowing two keys to becoming an excited, extravagant giver. We began this series talking to you about how Paul wrote the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in writing the church, Paul was helping the church overcome their objections to giving. As we have learned, there's so many things in life that want to cause you to object to giving because of hurt, because of pain, because of experience or people that were selfish around you, people that used you. And, and as we, we lived our lives and <clears throat> we, become, we become believers and loving God and loving people, but sometimes life has a tendency to bring objections to being a giver. God has gifted every one of us. He has gifted you and given you abilities to minister in the kingdom of God. And many people don't realize that or they object to even that because the enemy has lied to them and told them that they don't have the ability to do these things. That's only for the chosen few or as I would say, the chosen frozen. But we learn how that there are two keys. The first key is understanding the living nature of money because God used money to teach giving which describes the nature of everything when we give to God's kingdom. When we have learned that everything that we give, from our finances to our gifts, our abilities, our time, our love, our care, giving into the kingdom with God's purpose, that will meet you in the future. It becomes seed. 
When you give with purpose into the kingdom of God, it is seed. And that seed will produce for your future. Many people are afraid of the future because they don't understand if giving is producing seed that will grow and become harvest for your future. If you are an excited, extravagant giver, you never have to worry about your future because God said it in the kingdom of God that when you give, it will meet you in the future. It will come back to you. The Bible says a hundredfold. That's the goal. It's not 30, 60, and 100. It's a hundredfold as we grow and become extravagant in our giving. Following God's purpose becomes greater than yourself. I love it is when I learned about giving, I used to give. You, you heard the story that I, I struggled in the, the giving area at the beginning because uh, I looked at what was done with the giving and how people abused it. But the reality is, as I began to give, I understood that it lessened me, that I no longer thought about me in the giving aspect. I, I really had a heart to give to others. I wanted others to prosper. I wanted others to, to meet God. I wanted others to, to reach the pinnacle of their walk with God. And that is basically the heart of giving. It removes selfishness out of our lives. <clears throat> then we took you to the second key, and we're going to continue with that today. The second key is understanding the loving nature of God, that God is a gracious and loving God, and always acts upon his graciousness and his love. Again, I will say this a thousand more times to you through the years, that God has gifted you and called you to impact your world. Jack, would you come up and, and share with us in a moment? <clears throat> God has given you everything that you need to impact your world. And when we hear the world, again, we're, we're hearing about go to the mission field or, or, you know, give monies and be able to touch someone in Africa. But the reality is what God is really concerned about, he's so gracious and loving, he's concerned about your world. He's concerned about your home. He's concerned about your children, your grandchildren. He's concerned about everything that, that is, is involved in your world. And in this, we've learned the giving is, is the mechanism and the machinery and the engine that produces the harvest and the blessings for your world. So let, uh, let your ears hear the extra extravagance of giving through one of our brothers in our church has been so faithful to the Lord. Jack, can you share uh, what has taken place? Sure, and out of the mouths of babes, right? So uh, many of you know I teach at a school, and one of our students, with just a few weeks ago, there was a hurricane in Houston, and there was another one in Florida, and he was watching the television, seeing the devastation, and, um, well, he was my son. Yeah, I was going to say that. I can't tell the rest of the story without saying that he was my son. And he said, Dad, those houses, what are they, where do they go? What do they do? I said, I don't, I don't know. I haven't lived out there. I don't know what happens, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to be living in their house for a while. And he said, what about the schools? What, 
did, did any of the schools get destroyed? And I said, probably. He said, what about the music programs? Because he's playing in our music program. He loves playing music. And so he said, can't, can't our music program do something? Can't we do something for the kids out there? I said, yeah, I, I don't know. And that, just that seed, you know, and, and not knowing where this is going to go, not knowing what this is going to produce, I contacted the Pasadena Independent School District in Houston, Texas. Ironic that it was Pasadena, but... Um, and I said, is there a fine arts director or someone I could talk to? And actually, through email, I was connected with someone, and I said, we just want to help a school. Is there a school that's been impacted? And uh, she said, actually, there is. There's a school named Thompson Intermediate School in Houston, and I, I think I have a picture of their music room. It's hard to see. It, once you focus in on the cello that's completely wet, you look at the room, and if you look, uh -huh. the water is up to the chairs. That, that brown that you see is not carpet, that's water. And that was after a few days after the water went down. And so I said, well, could I have the director's name? Long story short, we connected with the director, and we said, we'd like to help you. And he was he's kind of confused about what we were trying to do. But we just started connecting with him. We started raising money for their program. And then um, through that, our ASB, our student body, heard about it saw their website, uh, the school's website. Turns out both of our schools are mirrors. We're both seven, eight middle schools. We're both the same amount of students. And so um, our student body saw in there that the school is a low-income school, and most of the students really don't have much to begin with, and now everything they had is gone. So they needed backpacks and materials, our ASB, started raising money, and they raised $2,500 to send out for backpacks and just from kids at schools putting money in back, and yes, in, in buckets, amen, praise the Lord. So through all of that, our whole school has now adopted Thompson Middle School as a sister school, and we've started writing letters to all of their students and, and doing that, and not knowing where this went or where it was going, but out of one question, can't, can't we just help them? Isn't there something mm -hmm. we can do? And then starting to just ask questions. What can we do? Where can we go? Who can we talk to? And you never know what, what can turn up from that. Amen. A godly kidding. young man, your son. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I know you're humble, but a godly young man. He is. Became extravagant in his thinking because that's kingdom. Yeah. That's calling. Use the calling of God that's in your life through music Amen. to reach all the way to Houston Amen. Uh, to give and to produce. I was going to show real quick. Here's our school orchestra. The next, we all got together. We sent their music program, this picture. You can't read the board, but it says, we're here for you, Thompson Intermediate School. Um, that's almost everybody in our program. And then um, uh, on Wednesday, we were able to actually do what we call Skype. This is going to be a little bit hard to see. But our orchestra played for their orchestra, and we got to see each other on screen. Um, they, have now, they have now been relocated into Beverly Hills Intermediate School <laughs> <laughs> in Houston, Texas. So it has become a real partnership, and I'm going to be flying out to Houston in middle October mm -hmm. to work with their orchestra. So it's just a really exciting. And I want to I tell you what we are talking about of the keys of becoming an extravagant giver is this, is here's a man who's been faithful, 
you, you all need to know this guy, this guy is famous around our area. And matter of fact, the director for the Pasadena City College Tournament of Roses Honor Band has taken a sabbatical and our own Jack is now leading the march in the Rose Bowl Parade. And uh, amen. And being a blessing to the, the director and uh, giving to him, taking something that's huge for him, he's taking a sabbatical, and you've come in and you've been a blessing to him. Again, that's giving. Again, that, that's extravagant. Again, that's someone that is, is blessing. And I want to say to you, because I'm seeing your children rise up, you and Lisa raising your children, and they are amazing kids. Uh, I love them, and I watch them all the time. And we were at your house a while back uh, for a meeting, and they were running around taking care of things. So uh, what a blessing it is, and, and we honor you. Can you just put your hands out towards uh, Jack? And I want to pray for him regarding the Rose Bowl parade. Father, thank you. Lord, that you have assigned this to be able to touch this school. But Father, we now pray for this gifted man. We pray for his wife and his two children in Jesus' name that you would just touch his life, strengthen him. Lord, that you would allow him to see even greater than he's ever seen because he's already given. Lord, his future has been prepared. Lord, I thank you that in October when he goes to these schools and meets these children, God, that his future has been prepared. Lord, I thank you that people will open up and give in the Houston area, but not only that, in, in our area. And we, we bless him now in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Give him a great hand. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack. So God has gifted you. And what are you doing with what God has given you? What I want to bring to you is with God, you have what it takes to accomplish everything. With God, you have what it takes. But how you enact it, the engine of it, is becoming that giver. Last week we read from the book of Jeremiah. You can turn there again. In Jeremiah 29:11, uh, we're reading from the Message Bible. It says this: "I know what I am doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for." Remember the story in Jeremiah, we read this all the time, and we're saying, yes, this is awesome, how God speaks to Israel. But we, we were reminded that Israel was just becoming prisoners. The Babylonians had just taken them captive. Israel was mouthing off and negative and struggling and, and having a hard time. Why would God abandon us? What is God doing in our life? And God spoke through Jeremiah and basically said this, watch this, don't tell me what I'm thinking. Because you know how it is when we, you know, when people will, will say to you, well, I know what you're thinking. No, they don't. They don't know what you're thinking. And people will gossip and they'll say, well, you know what they're, how they are, you know, and this is what they're, well, you don't know. 
And the reality is, is that God was saying in Jeremiah 29, 11, that we take it, and sure it is, it's a powerful message from God and the love of God, but he's literally telling them, don't tell me what I'm thinking. You don't know me. You don't know my character. Let's read that again. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. In the middle of of the greatest pain they've ever had, God is saying, I got plans for you. Some of you are facing the biggest battle of your life, and I'm telling you, God's trying to get through to you and tell you that he's got plans for you. When you know God's nature, you then will have a spiritual grace that allows you to hear God's will and purpose for your life. As a believer, the greatest question we have is, Father, what is your will for this situation? Have you ever prayed that? Many times, yeah. Last week, we we began giving you four things that are good about God's will for your life. And the first we discussed already is that God loves you and always has a good plan for your life. The bottom line is every plan he has is based out of who he is love. According to Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows what he's thinking. Don't tell him anything opposite of what he said in his word. Hear what he is saying to you. Peace and not evil. I have a future and a hope for you. So to find God's will, you have to come to him with a right concept of him. When you are giving, you give with a right concept of him. When you become extravagant in everything that you do. I mean, how much more extravagant can you be in leading the Pasadena City College band in the Rose Bowl parade? I mean, really, come on, folks. We we need to understand very few people in the history of the Rose Bowl parade have done that. But it began in the smaller areas. And it began mostly in Jack understanding God's character. Understanding when you give, it will meet you in your future. You see, Jesus came to redeem us, not to reject us. Now, the second good thing for God's will in our life is this. Watch this. God's will for our life was established in your mother's womb and has never changed. God doesn't have plan A and plan B. Some people think he does, he doesn't. He always has plan B. And we're gonna, we're gonna go through the same passage, the same chapter, and we're gonna see what God says about plan A and there's no plan B. In our mother's womb, God created us and he established God's will in your life. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 18 says, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed 
And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I still am with you. You know, I don't believe what's in a mother's womb is a blob. It's a human baby from conception. God is planning every child that is conceived their days. God does a work in our mother's womb, and for nine months, God is thinking about our life in detail. That's what that scripture is telling us, church. We have to get to the basis of what God's heart, if we understand the nature of God, when you were conceived for nine months, God thought through your life and you were on his mind every second. Hmm. The psalmist says, God's thoughts towards us is so vast it cannot be numbered. So what does that mean? God has thought through every detail of your life. Nothing surprises him, even in our rebellion. Even before you lived one day on earth, God has written down and detailed every day of your life before you were born. I'm not an afterthought. You're not an afterthought. You're on the forefront of God's heart and mind. You know, we have a tendency in this to compare ourselves with one another. The world wants to tell us what valuable is and what is right. When God created you in your mother's womb, he created you right. When you struggle with purpose and identity, know this truth. People don't tell you what right is. God tells you what right is. And right is what he did in our mother's womb. So what am I saying to you? I'm going to say a few more words about this. What I'm telling to you, you can't mess it up. God's plans. Listen very closely we must battle this comparison thing because you're unique, you're peculiar. You're someone special to the Lord. Something will never be right between you and God until you thank him for who you are and become thankful. Thanking him for you. Let's just do that right now. Just thank the Lord right now. Put your hands up and say, thank you, Lord, for me. Oh, pastor, that's prideful. No, it's not. Who created you? You're proud of God for what he did creating you. Man, I, don't, I wouldn't mind if you walked in the door here and I'm standing in the foyer and you walked up to me and said, pastor, here I am. God created me. Amen. Because, let me just show you, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture, how the enemy wants to destroy that mentality. 
He wants to turn it around to the point where you are not accepting of yourself, that you are looking at yourself and saying, there's something wrong with me, and I can't accomplish God's purpose. That's the, the job of the enemy to destroy God's purpose in your life. Again, something will never be right between you and God until you thank him for who you are and become thankful. If we don't do that, there will be lack of intimacy and a disconnection until we can wake, wake up in the morning and thank God for who he made us, how he made us, who we are. So why do I say this? God created you in your mother's womb and detailed your life. The third thing, watch this, that is good about God's will for, for life is this. Our mistakes and the devil's attacks don't cancel out God's will for our lives. Our mistakes and the devil's attacks do not cancel out God's will for our lives. I will give you a future and a hope. When you become that extravagant giver, your future is set because the harvest will be there. But bottom line, that hope is, is that there's a purpose and a call of God upon your life. It is important that you understand that, church. And when you begin to understand these things, then giving has no problem because you know there is a purpose for that. You're not concerned about your future because in giving, your future is set. Some of you say, Pastor, I've had a lot of hardships and have done a lot of wrong things. Some of you might say, Pastor, I've gotten off the path and I've done that a long time. But I want you to remember this in Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, it says this, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Gifts are plural and calling, you only have one calling. It never changes. Every single person is called, not just a few preachers. Every time we go through hardships, the devil is there saying to you, God can't use you. The enemy is saying to you, you have failed. You have done that too many times. You have blown it. God is through with you, and I'm telling you, he's not. And that's what he's saying to Israel through Jeremiah. He's saying, I am not through with you. Right now, you're in captivity, and you're going to face some tough stuff, but I'm not through with you. That wasn't my plan. That wasn't my plan. People who don't understand God and who he is, they blame God for the problems. That wasn't God's plan. Evil does not come from your God. Matter of fact, look at verse 14 of Jeremiah 29. They were being taken in captivity. He says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. I will bring you back to your call if you will follow me and be that extravagant giver. I will take you there. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that you serve. 
when they were taken, it looked like God was finished with them. And this is what God said. As surely as you are leaving, I will bring you back. As sure as you have literally made a decision to go opposite of God's will for your life, I will bring you back. How many of you have a navigation system? I love this lady. I put into her where I want to go, and she sweetly tells me directions. (laughs) In one mile, you will turn right. Thank you, thank you. But how many of you have missed turns at times? Did she yell at you? No. You look at the screen and amazingly a word appears. You know it, recalculating. (laughs) Then in a very pleasant tone with no condemnation, says, turn right in 0.5 miles. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good. Now, I'm not going into the doctrinal teaching of that. We've done that before. But I want you, I'm going to make a point here. But this doesn't happen for all people. Why? Many in the world, things are not working together for them. Many people that love God are not, it's not working well for them right now. The Bible says, who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose or purposes. What does that mean? Israel was called by God for a purpose. As Israel is going into captivity, God said, recalculating. God didn't change the plan. God didn't change the purpose. God said, I haven't rejected you. God said, I'm not finished with you. How many times have you seen in the Old Testament when we're reading uh, in our journaling, how many times have you seen where, where God's people would say something that wasn't God? Even Job, well, God giveth and God taketh away. He, true, he said that, but that's not true. God doesn't give you something and take it away from you. That's the enemy. But we, we take, we point, we bring ourselves to certain scriptures and we live our lives on that because there's struggle in our life. I've been there. What God says to Israel, what God says to you, and maybe has been saying to some of you, you know, have you ever gone into LA and, and you know, it's, it's recalculating because the buildings are too big and you've lost signal? And all of a sudden, you don't know where to go, and it's like recalculating, recalculating. Well, sometimes because of choices of frustration and feeling like God doesn't love us, we're constantly making choices based on an untruth, saying that God doesn't care. God's rejected us. There's no hope. We might as well give up. We might as well run. We might as well do these things. And, 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 and God is sitting there, and he's saying, no. Just like he was saying to Israel, he says, 
I have plans for you. They've never changed. I developed them in your mother's womb for nine months. You have done this and this and this, and he's not reminding you of that. You are. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, is reminding you. And God is saying, no, recalculating. Now, some of you are just kind of like, recalculating? Watch this. I'm recalculating. God is going to get you back to the same place to do the same thing. It will just have to be in a different way. I mean, when the Lord showed me this, I just said, oh my gosh, how I have accused you of being someone you're not. I have literally thought at times in my life that because of this decision, because of moving into this realm of my life, there's no, I, there's no way I can do this. But I have found in my life God moving over and over and over and bring me back to the same place, the same call, the same purpose. Well, maybe God is saying he's calling. Maybe I missed God. No, you did not. You didn't miss God. There are times everything you see in your life, it looks like you missed God. But I want to tell you, in many instances, you didn't. But when we back away from being an excited, extravagant giver, that's when we are taken into captivity. The captivity of feeling miserable because we don't know God's will, the captivity of always having to work harder to meet every need that we have. Are you following me? Are you really seeing that? I know that it's, it's impacting you right now, and I want you to hear this. But I don't want you to hear it the way you always heard it. God is punishing me. I don't want you to hear it where, you know, I've really blown it. I've done this through relationships, whatever. And, and God just doesn't care anymore. And I just got to fend for myself. But you know what I'll do? I'll come to church and I'll just work hard and I'll just tell God I love him. And we're miserable. God says, I've, I've given you a call, I've given you a future, and given you a place to go that you hope to be because I've placed it in you from the very beginning. It's there. Well, but pastor, you don't... Paul made mistakes. Peter made mistakes. We've all made mistakes. King David made mistakes. In the Bible, you never see God coming to a mistake maker and throwing them away. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Let me say this. God's not taking you out of the game. He is not taking your gifts away because you have a future 
and a hope. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What God has put in your heart, that's not the pizza. Might be a little pepperoni, but that's all right. If you're Italian, that's good. I really feel led because we have mom here, spiritual mom here. I really feel led to pray for you. And I finished early because I wanted the privilege of releasing the call of God in your life. I want to have the privilege as your pastor, as a spiritual father, to release the blessings of the Lord in your life. But here's what I want to say to you. If you have objections to giving, it's because you've listened to the wrong truth. If you are a person that struggles and you, you, you argue constantly when the Holy Spirit speaks to you about giving to, to others of your time, of your efforts, of your gifts, of your finances, and you argue, I want to say to you, church, you are struggling against a wrong small g God. It's the enemy trying to ruin the purposes of God. We just said that everything that God planned for you, he's going to recalculate and take you to the same place. One day years ago, the Lord said, I want you to fall in love with what I called you to. I don't want you to fall in love with the result. I want you to fall in love with what I called you to. And there are many times, because of my personality, I've been obedient to the Lord, and the result wasn't the result I was dreaming about. And I could have very well got angry because I was doing the right thing, and I didn't see, in my point of view, the result I wanted to see then. But when I began to understand to fall in love with that purpose and call, then it wasn't the result. It was I fell in love with the purpose, doing what I was called to do. I love what I do. I'm human like you. I make mistakes like you do. Oh, some of you don't make mistakes? Yeah. Okay, we got it. And, and the reality is this. I've fallen in love with God's call. That's it. Everything that I do comes out of that. And how you enact the blessings is by giving it away. It's no longer about me. Because I stand on the platform, people accuse me and say, you're up there on the platform, selfish. No, it's not about me. That's why I stay down there as long as I can before I come up to do what I'm supposed to do. Because it's not about me. Church, it's not about you. But when you begin to really grab a hold of the giving and fall in love with the purpose, 
with the call and not the result, the result will always be there. And when you make a mistake, here's your God recalculating. Amen? Amen. And you're the one saying, you idiot. You missed your turn. You're madder at yourself than anything, right? God's not. He's saying, I got you covered. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. It's called a covenant. That's what it is. But he's going to take you to your call. Let's all stand.